0: All right, there's the scriptures, the word of the Lord. Let's, uh, let's pray before we jump in. Jesus, we do thank you again for this morning. Thank you for this chance to be together. Thank you for your scriptures, uh, your holy words that you've written and given to us. Would you, by your spirit, speak to us this morning? Uh, each of us come from different places, with different needs, different hopes. Uh, but all of us uh, need and want uh, to hear from you this morning. So would you, by your grace, do that? And we ask this in your name. Amen. So on April uh, 26th, 1986, following a routine safety test, the core of Reactor 4 of the Chernobyl Nuclear Power Plant in northern Ukraine melted down. And explosions uh, ruptured the core of this nuclear reactor, destroyed the building in which it was housed. And the ensuing open-air fire, which burned for nine days, released radioactive contamination all over the USSR. Kids, if you don't know what the USSR is, ask your parents. And Western Europe. And it is considered the worst nuclear disaster in history. In the days and months following the disaster, 30 people at least died from injuries and radiation directly from the explosion. And over 100,000 people were evacuated from a 1,000 square mile area, which included an entire city that was built in order, uh, that was built right next to this nuclear power plant. The area is now known as the Chernobyl Exclusion Zone and it's a deserted, desolate place. It's an area filled with abandoned factories and abandoned schools, abandoned houses, and abandoned amusement park even. There's many documentaries that have been done about it or photos online, and they are haunting to see because you, you see in these images at a school where there's still papers left on the ground that have been there for 40 years. You see homes where there's still clothing in the closets that's just all been abandoned. It's, people are just gone. And the long-term impact to humans and the environment from the disaster is difficult to calculate, and it is still somewhat unknown. There have been pine forests in that area that have turned reddish brown and have died. Drinking water has been contaminated. Animals have been documented that were born with deformities. Humans have suffered from acute radiation sickness, thyroid cancer, other diseases. Needless to say, the physical and social impact was enormous and still is enormous. But there's also an economic impact that's also staggering. Experts estimate that hundreds of billions of dollars have been spent and are still being spent on Chernobyl-related costs. In April 2006, the 20th anniversary of the accident, Mikhail Gorbachev wrote, the nuclear meltdown at Chernobyl was perhaps the real cause of the collapse of the Soviet Union. The accident was horrible, right? Many people died all kinds of devastation, but the repercussions from that accident that are still ongoing have been even worse. And according to experts, the site of the power plant will not be fully cleaned up and cleared until at least 2065. Over the past few weeks, Giorgio has preached on the first half of Genesis 3, where we see Adam and Eve, our first parents, listen to the lies of the serpent and disobey God. God's command not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is an event that we commonly refer to as the fall. In our text this morning, what we see are the long-term effects. We see the aftermath of the fall, the fallout of the fall, which Dutch theologian Herman Bavink says, unleashed a flood of misery on the human race. See, because of their disobedience, original, the original goodness of creation was spoiled. Think back to earlier in Genesis 1 and 2 when we preached on that earlier in the fall where God says, he creates something and says, this is good, it 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 is very good. That original goodness now we see is spoiled. And that paradise that was so wonderful is now lost. Another theologian, Albert Walters, writes, as dirty water contaminates a clean pond, so the poisonous effects of the fall have fouled every aspect of creation. And so much like the Chernobyl disaster, the fallout is wide reaching. Adam and Eve's sin have or had negative effects and still have negative effects, so not just for them but also for us on every human being and we'll see even the entire cosmos, all of God's creation does not escape the negative consequences. If you aren't a follower of Jesus here this morning or someone who's exploring spiritual realities, we welcome you. Thank you so much for being here. I want to confess to you that this part of the scriptures in Genesis, the opening chapters of the Bible, are complicated. They're difficult to understand. Maybe you come in here and you have some thoughts about how Christianity or how Churches you've been in in the past have interpreted these things. I encourage you not to tune out, uh, but to listen, to ponder this passage here this morning, not dismiss it too lightly. And I encourage you to look around, to look inside yourself, look to the motivations and the intentions of your heart, look to the thoughts that are in your own head, and look around you, look at the pain and the hurt and the injustice that pervade our world. Things are not as they should be. I think we can all agree to that, Christian or not. Things are not as they should be. Something is broken. And it struck me as Rob, during the first service, was reading or praying through the list of prayer requests, just one thing after another after another. It's just heartbreaking and so hard and so disappointing. It's not the way it was made to be. That's not the way God designed things to be. Something is broken. And there's evidence all around us And things like food insecurity and homelessness, systemic racism, infertility, abortion, divorce, child abuse, wildfires, coral bleaching, and many more. Or even, Rob prayed about this as well, the Israel-Hamas war. More than 12,000 men, women, and children have died on the very ground that Jesus walked. The very soil in which Christianity first grew. Something's wrong. Something is broken. This is not the way it's supposed to be. These are the symptoms. This is the fallout of the fall, the fallout of the sin of our first parents. The bliss and beauty of the garden has been corrupted. It's been distorted. Now that I've brought you down a little bit, maybe depressed you a little bit, let's look at this passage. Let's dive in to these words here in the scriptures this morning and see what God has to say to us. And I'll admit, and you've guessed this already, that there's bad news here. And there's more of it. There's a lot of it. But there are also some notes of hope, like I mentioned to the kids a moment ago. There are some glimpses here. And so from here, I want to talk in two parts. First, we're going to talk about the speeches of judgment, but then we're going to talk about glimpses of grace. Speeches of judgment, glimpses of grace. So let's talk first here about the speeches of judgment. So there are three. Speeches here by God, one to the serpent, one to the woman, one to the man. And in each one of these, God communicates to the individual a penalty for their sin. And he also communicates a consequence for their sin that specifically results in a declaration of defeat. A penalty for their sin and a consequence for their sin that results in a declaration of defeat. Verses 14 and 15, let's look at the speech to the serpent. For the serpent, that penalty is humiliation. Humiliation. If you remember back again to the first part of Genesis 3, verse 1 of Genesis 3, it says that the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. And so the serpent was created intelligent and wise and clever and shrewd. But the serpent misuses these God-given gifts that were given to him And because of that, the result is that he is destined to eat dust all the days of his life, verse 14. And this is not an explanation, just to say, of why snakes don't have legs, okay? So don't imagine the serpent like a Komodo dragon or something when he first comes to Eve and then God like cuts the legs off and now he slithers. That's not, I don't think, what's happening here. Okay, commentator Derek Kidner, what he says about this is that God's curse to the serpent, it gives crawling a new significance, not a new existence. So the serpent crawled already, but now instead of the serpent being highly acclaimed, he's disgraced, and his crawling, his eating the dust is now a symbol of humiliation. He goes from being well thought of to the most cursed, the most lowly. So the penalty... This humiliation for the serpent the consequence of the serpent's sin is defeat by the woman's offspring and we're going to come back to that uh, in just a minute so hold off there put a pin in that put a little star or asterisk by that if you're a note-taker and we'll come back verse 16 God's speech to Eve for the woman the penalty is painful labor and childbirth painful labor and childbirth procreation is one of what you might call God's creation ordinances. It's one of those commands, one of those things that God made, Genesis 1 and 2, gave to Adam and Eve, our first parents, that are designed and created to show us, to express what it means for humanity to truly be human, for us to be God's image bearers. In Genesis 1:28, he tells Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. And here we see that Eve's calling of motherhood, this Parental gift, this procreation command that she was given is now frustrated from what it was intended to be. And the act of giving birth is now one of physical pain. So the penalty, painful labor, the consequence of her sin is defeat in her conflict with her husband. Verse 16. The first half of verse 16, very easy, very straightforward. The second half of verse 16, is a little bit less so. It's a little tough to understand. Look back at it. It says, yet your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So the question is, what is this desire? And what is the nature of this ruling by the man? And to be sure, I should say, there is a lot of disagreement here among biblical scholars about what exactly this means, what exactly, how to answer these two questions I just posed to you. But I believe the best and the most obvious understanding is that Eve's desire here is one of an unhealthy, unnatural control and that Adam's ruling is one of improper force. See, in the very next passage, the same Hebrew words are used where sin, a personified description of sin, is described. And sin is described as desiring to control Cain Cain is Adam and Eve's son who is contemplating murdering his brother, not a good thing, bad choice. When God tells Cain that he must master or subdue that desire, same words. In the way that, I like the way the New English translation translates Genesis 3.16, the last half, it says this. You will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. And I think that's a good rendering. I think that fits the tone and the context of the passage. Why? because we see marriage here, another of God's creation ordinances, something created, designed to be good, to be a blessing, we see that it's now gonna be marred by conflict. It's gonna be marred by power struggle. We see that sin doesn't just disrupt our relationship with God vertically, which we saw earlier in chapter three, but now we see that it's gonna disrupt relationships horizontally between one another, between a husband and a wife. It brings alienation from others. And so what I wanna say explicitly before I move on is that I do not believe this text teaches an establishment of male headship and the necessity of hierarchy based on gender as a result of the fall. Can I um, say that again? I don't believe this text teaches an establishment of male headship and the necessity of hierarchy based on gender as a result of the fall. There are some who teach this. There are some of you who may have heard this that it is because of the fall that there is male headship or hierarchy in a certain way. I do not believe this passage teaches that. I think that's a misreading. I think that's unfair of the text here. Everything we encounter in these speeches of judgment has already been created. It's already been established. This is about marriage. It's about the relationship that's already been. It's about that thing now being spoiled or frustrated. It's not about the creation of something new. And there's certainly a worthwhile conversation to be had about the concepts of headship and gender roles and those kind of things, but this is not the passage. This is not the right passage to look for answers to those questions. The main point, again, is that both the woman's desire for control and the man's subsequent ruling over her are portrayed negatively here. That's the point. The dynamics of the marriage relationship are spoiled. That's the consequence is that the marriage relationship is being spoiled, and it's now going to be one of power dynamics, and it's frustrated. So that's God's speech to Eve. Penalty, painful labor, and then the frustration of marriage. The just lost my notes there. The conflict with her husband, the defeat and conflict with her husband. God's speech to Adam is the third one. Verses 17 to 19. For the man, the penalty is painful labor in agriculture. So in the garden, God graciously provided an abundance of food, right? He says, eat of all the trees, except for that one, but eat of all the trees. You have all the food you need. There was a gracious provision of all that they needed for food and to enjoy it. But now the ground, the plants, they're no longer gonna cooperate. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, by eating the forbidden fruit, they, they now must labor. They now must toil in order to harvest their food, in order to eat. And it's important to note here that work itself is not a curse, okay? I didn't say that. Don't hear me say that, right? That was given before the fall. Our first parents had a job to do to continue God's creative work. Back in chapter 1, verse 28, Rob Alexander who prayed this morning, actually preached on this a month or so ago. And it says, God tells them to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so before sin enters the world, God gives his creatures, he gives Adam and Eve a divine vocation. He gives them a holy calling to continue his creative work, to rule over the terrestrial world. So work is not a curse, but work is now cursed. And this divine ordinance of dominion, of work, of vocation, just like procreation, just like marriage, is also now frustrated. It's also frustrated. And again, it's important to see that Adam is not cursed. Okay, The serpent was cursed, Eve was not cursed, Adam is not cursed. Here in this passage we see the ground is cursed. And so not only is the work made more difficult, but the whole environment itself in which Adam and Eve find themselves is spoiled. Verse 18, thorns and thistles, it shall grow. And so we see that the terrestrial world, the environment, does not escape the fallout of the fall, but it also is spoiled. It also endures that fallout. The New Testament says that creation was subjected to futility, and that creation is in the bondage of decay. And this is the fourth and final layer of humanity's alienation in chapter 3 already again in the sermons Giorgio preached we saw man's alienation from God and then from each other or from ourselves excuse me and then here we see it from others with the marriage peace and then now here from nature that man is alienated from everything that God created as a result of sin alienation from nature Moreover, so the penalty for Adam, painful labor. The consequence of his sin is defeat in his conflict with the ground. See, Adam is subjected to hard labor all the days of his life, and at the end of those, what does he get? He gets to return to the dust from which he was created. And God's Sabbath command to rest is here also in some ways frustrated. Work is more difficult now, and there is no rest, but it's all toil. And I heard someone put it this way, in kind of a quippy way, which I thought was, was good. And they said, you will fight with dirt all your life, and you will be rewarded for your toil by being buried under six feet of dirt. It's encouraging. Coming off a holiday weekend, going back to the office tomorrow morning, you're gonna, you you know, you're gonna lose. You defeat with the ground, I'm sorry. It's the way it is. It's been frustrated. Three speeches of judgment, in which all that was created in the garden, the goodness of original creation is spoiled. Procreation, marriage, the cultural mandate, work, work dominion, or however you wanna phrase that, in the Sabbath, all made more difficult because of Adam and Eve's disobedience. But praise be to God, that's not the end of the passage. That's not the end of the story. Speeches of judgment now glimpses of grace. So in contrast to this trifecta of judgment, of the consequences of bad choices, we see here three hints of hope. Three hints of hope. The results of sin are dark, really, really dark, pitch dark. But like a ray of sunlight, grace pierces through the darkness. And the remedy for sin is unveiled. See, in the midst of the blackness of this passage, there is a glimmer of light. And we see that paradise might be able to be regained. The first two of these glimpses I pointed out to the kids, verses 21 and 22, these are ones that Giorgio and his sermons touched on. If you want to hear more about those, I encourage you to go back and listen to his sermons. I'm just going to mention these really briefly because they were touched on already. And we'll talk more about the third one. So the first two glimpses, verse 21, God provides Adam and Eve with a covering of animal skins. And he gives them this, a picture of redemption, redemption coming by the shedding of blood. There's a picture of redemption. In verse 22, God banishes Adam and Eve from the garden. He protects them from eternal spiritual death, thereby leaving open the possibility for reconciliation. They will not eat. Of the tree of life and live forever in this state that there's a possibility that things could be fixed verse 21 22. let's look at more length at the third glimpse and this is what i said we would come back to earlier in the sermon back to the speech to eve verse 15. god promises victory to adam and eve through the offspring of eve I'm sorry, it's God's speech to the serpent. He says that a descendant of the woman will one day defeat the des- descendant of the serpent. And theologians since the first couple centuries of the church, the very, very early days of Christianity, have understood this passage, this promise, to be a clear reference to the gospel. And it's often referred to as the proto-evangelium, proto-first-evangelium-good-news-gospel. It's the first telling in the scriptures of the good news. In this third and final glimpse, we encounter for the first time the person of reconciliation, the promised Messiah, the descendant of Eve, who we later find out is revealed to be Jesus of Nazareth. You got to keep reading. It takes a while to get there. But it's revealed later to be Jesus of Nazareth. The serpent played a key role in bringing down Adam and Eve, but their offspring, their descendant, will get the last laugh. Not the serpent, not the serpent's descendant, but the descendant of Eve. Satan will strike his heel and deliver a crippling blow to the Messiah. But Jesus will strike Satan's head, and he will deliver the fatal blow. The Apostle Paul picks up on this idea, Romans 5, and he compares and contrasts for a whole chapter, Adam to Jesus. Listen to these words just from verses 18 and 19. Apostle Paul writes this, Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And what is Paul saying there? He's saying that Jesus is the better Adam. He's the greater Adam. He's the true Adam. See, the first Adam was tempted by Satan in the garden at the beginning of history. The second Adam is tempted in the desert at the beginning of his ministry. The first Adam doubted God's command, the command of his creator, and he disobeyed. But the second Adam trusted in the will of his father and obeyed perfectly. The first Adam pointed the finger at his wife in an attempt to escape the punishment and penalty of sin, but the second Adam points the finger at himself and he willingly endures the penalty for sin. The actions of the first Adam resulted in paradise being lost, but the actions of the second Adam will result on the final day in paradise being restored. And the parallelism doesn't end there, there's more. St. John Chrysostom, a famous preacher, early church father, bishop of Constantinople in the fourth century, paints a really beautiful picture of Christ's victory using this passage, this part of scriptures. Listen to what he said when he preached. Have you seen the splendid deeds of the cross? Shall I tell you something still more marvelous? Learn in what way the victory was gained, and you will be even more astonished. For by the very means by which the devil had conquered, by these Christ conquered him. By taking up the weapons with which he had fought, he defeated him. Listen to how it was done. A virgin, a tree, and a death were the symbols of our defeat. The virgin was Eve. She had not yet known man. The tree was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The death was Adam's penalty. But behold again, a virgin, a tree, and a death. Those symbols of defeat become symbols of his victory. For in the place of Eve, there is Mary. In the place of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there is the tree of the cross. And in the place of the death of Adam, the death of Christ. See, in the first Adam, along with the rest of creation, we fall, the fallout of the fall. But in the second Adam, by his grace, we stand. In the one who was crucified, buried, and rose again for us. Three speeches of judgment three glimpses of grace what do we do with this how do we respond what are we to think or believe or feel as we encounter these passages british singer-songwriter ed, ed sheeran had a really horrible february 2022 in the span of a month his best friend jamal died suddenly from a heart attack And his pregnant wife was told she had an inoperable tumor and was diagnosed with cancer. On top of that, he was in the middle of defending his career and his integrity in court against a plagiarism lawsuit, which he won. But about that season, he says this in an interview, I was spiraling through fear, depression and anxiety. I felt like I was drowning, head below the surface, looking up but not able to break through for air. Ed Sheeran, February 2022, was in a really bad place. He was in a really dark place. And it was in the midst of that darkness, actually, that he wrote his most recent studio album, his fifth album called Subtract. And it's a collection, which may not surprise you, of songs filled with anger and filled with pain and filled with grief, as well as attempts to cope with his circumstances, to make sense of life and to try to move forward. However, there's one song, the sixth track on the album, so there's seven tracks that are pretty tough. The eighth track on the album provides a hint of hope, and it's, it's called Curtains. And the chorus goes like this. I won't sing it, but I will read it. Go look it up later. He says this. Can you pull the curtains? Let me see the sunshine. I think I'm done with my hiding place, and you found me anyway. It's been forever, but I'm feeling all right. Tears dry, and will leave no trace, and tomorrow's another day. Next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. It's the season on the church calendar where we wait, and we look forward to the coming of the Messiah, this one who will crush Satan's head. In the coming of the Messiah, in the words of the prophet Isaiah, he comes to shine a great light on those of us who are walking and dwelling in a land of deep darkness, And this Messiah also in the Gospel of John declared, I am the light of the world. So Redeemer Presbyterian Church, my exhortation for you this morning is simply to throw open the curtains. Open the curtains. However, wherever you are experiencing the fallout of the fall in your life, where things are broken, things are not as they should be, let in the light. Let in the light of Christ. Allow the hope and the grace of the gospel that good news to pierce the darkness, to come in to the darkness, to shine in the darkness. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your scriptures, and we thank you that you are a good, good Father. And even in the midst the bad choice of adam and eve our first parents even in the midst of our bad choices you meet us with good news and you meet us with grace you meet us with hope even if it's only in hints sometimes god i pray that the truths of this passage that the light of the gospel would shine in our hearts brightly today and this season as we enter advent would you meet us Would you be at work in us? Would you restore us, heal us, fix us? We pray and we ask in Jesus' name, amen.